Hey, this is Lee Snow. I'm the preacher of Orange Springs Road Church of Christ, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for downloading today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it gives you a perspective to see what God wants to do in your life, and I hope it challenges you to a faithful tomorrow. By the way, my wife and my parents are both in in, uh, Montgomery County, Tennessee, holding that baby right now. And I sent them a note today. I said, as the three of you are at Shelby's house and holding and snuggling that sweet little girl, I said, please keep this sincere and heartfelt thought in mind. I hate you all. (laughs) And so... So I'm, I'm still probably a month from seeing that baby again. But I want to think about some things tonight that, that are very integral in our study of the Bible doctrine of the church. Now, these, are, these photos, are they're a few years old, but um, these are some pictures I took of one of the gardens that I keep um, um, at the, near where I live. Uh, the house on the hill is not where I live, but... Uh, uh, by the way, that's Doris Mann's brother's house. So, so there's two of us, three of us that know who that is. And, uh, but this is my garden. It's, usually, it's about, it's, well, it's one of them. I keep three. And this one's about 16 rows wide and about 450 feet long. And uh, when I had this garden and, and my son was at home, I kept two really big tillers. Big Troy built and a big Sears, uh, Sears tiller. Then when my son went, to, went away and moved out of the house because it was too much for one old man to keep up. But you can see on the, on the photos here that, that you can see there's some cabbage here on the, on the, on the left. And what you see on the lower right is uh, it's, uh, uh, there's some field corn uh, there, what we call field corn there at the bottom. You see the, the baskets for the tomatoes. Uh, now the soybeans are there on the on that big part of the right, but there's there's purple hull peas up there. There's there's uh, sweet corn, and on on the um, on the far left where it's actually nothing you can see, there's some late corn planted there. And uh, you can see the pepper plants bottom middle. You can see the tomatoes there. You can see some more of the corn from a different picture from a different year. And uh, so I grow a variety of things: peppers, squash, cucumbers, uh, peas, tomatoes, corn. Uh, just I got a I got a separate potato patch, and uh, so I just got a lot of different things uh, that I that I grow. Now, having said all of that, by the way, my I, I went to Freed Harbin, graduated was graduated in 1988. I have a degree in agriculture. I didn't go to Freed Harbin and study Bible. Didn't go to Memphis School of Preaching or any religious seminary or whatnot. My my area of expertise is farming. I grew up in a farming family. I got a degree in agriculture. All I ever wanted to be was a farmer, and here I am. But, uh, but uh, you, about the things that I plant, it's not just about planting corn. It's not just about planting peas. It's not just about planting tomatoes. It's about planting bodacious sweet corn, which is the best sweet corn you will ever eat. It's a close-pollinated it's a close-pollinated 75-day corn. It's a bright yellow. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, well, if you ever eat any, you'll never grow anything else. All right? that, that's how good bodacious sweet corn is. Yeah. 
I, you know, when I discovered bodacious sweet corn, I fed every bit of my Silver Queen seed to my chickens you know, and apologized to them. You know, so it's not just about growing corn, it's about growing bodacious sweet corn. It's not just about growing tomatoes, it's about growing Atkinson tomatoes. If I'm going to plant an indeterminate tomato that grows and makes tomatoes all season long... I'm going to plant Atkinsons, or maybe better boys if I can't get as many Atkinsons as I like. If I'm going to plant a determinate tomato that puts everything on at one time, which is what you got to have for canning, I'm going to plant some type of mountain pride. Uh, when I plant peas, I'm going to plant Mississippi Pink Eye Purple Hull number twos. All right? And so... Those are the things that I grow. Now, you understand just by way of having a little bit of knowledge of how things work that i got to have a lot of different kinds of seed to grow a lot of different kinds of things. But what if I had told you at the outset that this is my garden and I only planted one type of seed in my garden and part of it grew Mississippi Pink Eye Purple Hole Number 2's and others of that same seed grew bodacious sweet corn. And others of that same seed grew Atkinson tomatoes. And others grew Dutch, uh, Dutch cabbage. And others grew jalapeno peppers. And others grew longhorn, uh, uh, or long uh, cowhorn pepper. And I said, I only planted one kind of seed. And I got 15 kinds of vegetables in my garden. Now, there's only two possibilities. There's only two possibilities, if I was going to tell you that, that are immediately going to come to your mind. Liar or lunatic. Am I right? A man that tells you he plants one kind of seed and gets 15 kinds of plants is a liar or a lunatic. Am I right? Now, when I plant peas, I want Mississippi Pink Eye Purple Hole number twos. And that's what I plant. And when I put those seeds in the ground, even though they look like other types of purple hole seeds, I get Mississippi Pink Eye Purple Hole number two. I don't get Texas Purple Hole. I don't get BDR Purple Hole. I don't get Top Pick Purple Hole. I get exactly what I planted. Back in 2015, Brother Ron and I spent a, a marvelous evening together last night sharing a meal. And he's such a good cook that I took half of it home and ate it for lunch today. Actually, we went to Cheddar's. <laughs> but we talked, we talked about our common interest and one of those interests is in, in organic garden. And one thing that I did, um, well, it was my 14th trip to Ghana, West Africa... It was a trip that was not dedicated in any way to preaching the gospel. But I went over, having done some experimentation at home, and was teaching what we call micro-farming to teach these preacher students at the school of preaching that we have in Ghana how to grow their own food so that they can sustain themselves when they leave the school of preaching so that they don't spend their entire life in ministry de depending on American money to prop them up in West Africa. 
And so we went over and we planted raised, we, we, made, we built uh, six or eight raised bed gardens, uh, about uh, 36 feet long, or no, 32 feet long and eight feet wide. We built what were called chicken tractors that are mobile, mobile uh, chicken pens and showed them how to use the chicken tractors to clear off a place to create another garden. Let the chickens eat all the grass and then fertilize it for you. And then you move the pen and then you plant. And so we were teaching these principles. And just, just on a lark, because it was early in the year, I carried a bunch of my excess seed from Hamilton, Alabama to Takarati, Western Region, Ghana. Do you know what? Do you know what they got when they planted bodacious sweet corn? They got bodacious sweet corn. You know what they got when they planted Mississippi pink eye purple hole number two? They got exactly that. They carried that same seed, or I carried that same seed halfway around the world, put it in the ground, and it grew exactly what it grows in northwest Alabama. Fancy that. Now you say, Todd, why do you spend so much time talking about farming and gardening and seeds? And I'll tell you why. Because Luke 8 verse 11 says, The seed is the word of God. A sower went forth to sow. And he said, some fell by the wayside, some fell on the stony ground, some fell among thorns, and some fell on good ground. But here's the one thing that we know without any question. The man planted the same seed everywhere he went. And when you only plant one kind, get one kind of plant. The seed is the Word of God. Now you take this seed and you plant it in the heart of a man in Marion County, Alabama, and you bring that same seed and plant it in the heart of a man in Columbus, Georgia, or Phoenix City, Alabama, and you plant the same seed in the heart of a Ghanaian or a Liberian or a Kenyan, those are the places that I've been in Africa, you're going to get the exact same thing. No matter where you plant the seed, you're going to get the exact same thing. You can't get two different things out of it. And yet, there are literally thousands of religious bodies in the United States alone, all claiming to be grown from the same seed. It won't work. It won't work. You can't grow corn with pea seed because the germ is peas. The part that's alive is peas. And you can't get anything Bear with me now. When you plant the seed of Christ, you're only going to get a disciple of Christ who is a member of the church of Christ. Now, 
When I say the church of Christ, I'm not talking about some type of denominational designation that separates the church of Christ from any religious body that, well, the, I passed a number of religious institutions between the hotel and here. The name Church of Christ is not simply a denominational, or in any way a denominational designation. It means the church that belongs to Christ. It's His church. We use His name because it's His church. He bought it with His blood. He came to establish it. He gave His life for it. He's raised from the dead for it. And He's freely given it all things. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. Everything that we need in the church that belongs to Christ is found in the book of Christ. And so when we think about the seed, the Word of God, this book cannot produce anything that is not in it. Just like a seed cannot produce anything that is not in it. For example, if I gave you a book on auto mechanics, would it turn you into a gardener? Can you give a man who knows nothing about gardening a book on auto mechanics and create a gardener? Why not? Why not? Because there's nothing about gardening in the book. Right? Now, here's what I'm going to plead for your patience. And I'm going to say this just as kindly as I can. But this book cannot produce a Baptist. Because there ain't one word about the Baptist church in this book. This book cannot produce a Methodist because there is not one thing about Methodism in this book. It can't produce a Lutheran, a Presbyterian, Assembly of God, Pentecostal, Catholic, you name it. Anything that is foreign to this book cannot be produced by this book. Are you with me? You with me? So anything that is foreign to this book cannot and cannot be found in this book, therefore cannot be produced by this book. So in other words, anything that is not a Christian, because that's the only thing the Bible talks about. It don't talk about Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans. They talk about Christians. Anything other than being a Christian, Anything about being something other than a member of the church that belongs to Christ had to have somebody else's work involved. You know, we've been watching the news, and I hope that you've been watching it because I think there is, I think there's a great opportunity for us. The Methodist Church is having their convention, and they're deciding what they're going to put in their book. And they're deciding what they might want to take out of that book. And as I said yesterday, you don't need a book written by man to tell you about homosexuality because God's already put it in His book. He's already got it in His book. 
But the point of the matter is this. If you want to be a Methodist, you've got to have this and the Methodist Book of Discipline. If you want to be a Baptist, you've got to have this book and the Baptist Faith and Message. In other words, to be anything other than a member of the Church of Christ, you've got to have this book plus something. I'm not interested in any of that. I just want to be this. The seed principle teaches us that denominational Christianity cannot be reconciled with the teaching of the New Testament concerning the church that Jesus came to establish. All right? Let's move on. Open your Bibles to John 17, please. John 17 is the real Lord's Prayer. Now some folks refer to Matthew 6, 9 to 11 as the Lord's Prayer. That's the model prayer. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer when the Lord's actually praying. And we're going to find some things in this book and in this prayer that are integral to the subject which is at hand tonight, which is the unity of that is demanded to be a member of the body and church of Christ. Before we get there, in John chapter 12 and verse 48, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken the same will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but my Father who sent me, He told me what I should say and what I should speak. So Jesus pointed to His Father as the source of all His teaching, right? Now that's going to be important for us to remember. So for the sake of illustration, we're going to identify the teaching of Jesus as the alphabet. All right? The alphabet. So if, if the teaching of Jesus was the alphabet and Jesus got his teaching from his father, what did the father teach? Alphabet. See, I already got it up there for you. I already gave you the answer. Now let me just explain one more thing. The alphabet is not just 26 letters. The alphabet is 26 letters in their proper order. You take 26 letters and you jumble them up and you ain't got the alphabet. You got all the ingredients of the alphabet. But until you put those ingredients in their proper order, you don't have the alphabet. Are we clear on that? Because that's going to be an important thing for us to remember as we make our way through this study. So God taught Jesus the alphabet. So what Jesus taught was the alphabet. Now in John 14, 25 and 26, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be sent to them and bring to their remembrance all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then he goes on in John 16 and says that there are many other things that I need to teach you, but you are not able to bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. So Jesus promised His apostles 
that after his departure, the Holy Spirit would come reminding them, bringing to their remembrance all the things that he had been teaching them during the course of his ministry and all the things that they needed to know moving forward. No, all truth. He will guide you into what? All truth. Say it with me. He will guide you into all truth. So in the days of the apostles, all truth has been revealed. Correct? Therefore, anybody who claims to speak for God or to claim that God has given them some new revelation makes Jesus a liar. Any man who says that the Lord is speaking to him today makes Jesus a liar. Now, in our prayer that we are studying in John 17, in verses 1 through 9, Jesus says, or 1 through 19, Jesus says in verse 11, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I, I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those who you have given me, that they may be one, what? As we are. Note that. The standard of unity that Jesus demanded of his apostles was a unity that mirrored or mimicked or was exactly like the unity that existed between Jesus and his Father, right? He says, I pray for them to be one as we are one. Now, were Jesus and his Father one? Yes, they were. He said, I and my Father are one. We are one. And so whatever unity existed among the apostles mimicked the unity between Jesus and his Father. So, since what the Spirit taught the apostles would agree with what Jesus taught, and since what Jesus taught agreed with what the Father taught, then what God taught was the alphabet, what Jesus taught was the alphabet, what the Spirit taught was what? Alphabet. And what the apostles believed was what? The alphabet. Boy, y'all catching on. But in that same prayer, beginning in verse 20, Jesus expanded the scope of His prayer to include every person who would believe on Him through the word of the apostles. Correct? Neither pray I for these alone, but also for all them who shall believe on Me through their word, that they may be one. What's the standard? One. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may be one in us. Note the standard. Jesus and His Father. That oneness is still the standard. It was the standard for the apostles. It was the standard for everyone who would believe through the word of the apostles. It's an important thing to remember. Now, second paragraph. The phrase, through their word, the word there is singular. Word is singular. Not through their words, but through their word. Which obviously means more than one word. But the point is, is that what they were saying was all the same. In other words, there was a unified message that every apostle preached. 
And that what Peter preached was the same as what John preached. Is what the same as what Thomas preached. Is what the same as, as all the apostles preached, right? They all preached the same word, the same message. So God taught the alphabet. Jesus taught the alphabet. The Spirit taught the alphabet. And the apostles taught the alphabet. So what everybody that believed through their word believed what? The alphabet. But there's more. Following the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, there was a great persecution that arose against the Jerusalem church. And the Bible says they were all scattered abroad except for the apostles. The believers were all scattered abroad except for the apostles. But it says of them, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, what? Preaching the word. Preaching the word. The word that they'd been taught by the apostles, correct? So whatever message it was that they carried out from Jerusalem was the same exact message that the apostles were preaching in Jerusalem. So what did they teach? Leah didn't... There we go. Oh, can I go backwards? Oh, no. Alright. Y'all know where this is going. What the believers taught was the alphabet, right? That bunch of believers in Acts 8 and verse 4, what they... The only thing they knew to teach is what they'd been taught, and what they'd been taught for the sake of our illustrations, what? The alphabet. But we aren't finished yet. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, Paul spoke about the division in the church that was at Corinth. And he said, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And then in chapter 4 and verse 17, he spoke about the word that he preached. He said, that remind them of my ways which are in Christ, which I preach in every church. In other words, Paul's message didn't change when he went from one church to the other church, right? When he went to Corinth or wherever it is, Paul preached the same message Everywhere he went. Now, here is an interesting point. Where did Paul get his message? Well, let's let Paul answer. But I make known unto you, brethren, that the gospel which I preached, or which was preached by me, was not according to man, neither did I receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I got my message not from any man but directly from Jesus Christ. So, Paul, I got to go through it again. You go from Jesus straight down, bypassing the Holy Spirit, bypassing the apostles, bypassing the believers, straight from Jesus to Paul. And if Jesus was teaching those previous men the alphabet, He was teaching Paul the alphabet, but we got one more. 
First, or 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, Paul said, The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, King James says, The same commit to faithful men that they teach others also. Have you ever... Think about this. Do you realize... Do you realize there are four generations of believers in this one verse? There are four generations of believers in this one verse. Paul to Timothy... To faithful men, to others. So Paul taught the alphabet. So Timothy believed and taught what? The alphabet. And faithful men who believed in that, and they taught what? The alphabet. And what others believed and taught was the alphabet. Now, Imagine this is the first day of kindergarten and the teacher comes in and instructs the students to write the alphabet on a piece of paper. You can just see, you just see the teacher on day one, right? Now, how many of you boys and girls know the alphabet? All those hands go up. So then she brings them out that piece of paper. got two solid lines with a dotted line in the middle. And the lines are about that far apart. And she brings out that shaved down two by four pencil that's as big as a saw log. And she gives those students that pencil. And here that she said, I want all of y'all to write down the alphabet. Man, here they go. They're writing. They're writing the alphabet. Teacher walks around. She sees one of the students. And one of the students says, Hey, he has this written down. So the teacher asks the, the young boy, says, what are you writing? He says, why, I'm writing alphabet. So teacher says, I'm sorry, but that's not the alphabet. Little boy responds, it is the alphabet. My dad taught me that that's the alphabet, and my granddad taught my dad that that's the alphabet, and my dad and my granddaddy are honest men, and they would not lie to me so that, Miss Teacher, is the alphabet. And I don't care what you say. I'm going to keep on believing it's the alphabet. Does that boy's honesty make him right? No. Does that boy's father or grandfather's honesty make them right? Will he ever learn to read if he doesn't learn the alphabet? Will he ever learn to read if he doesn't learn the alphabet? Never. Never. Now, replace the word alphabet with the word gospel or the word of God. Go all the way back to our illustration. Paul said, the gospel which I preached came directly from Jesus Christ. Are all so-called believers preaching the same gospel? What if I substituted that word alphabet with doctrine of baptism? 
What God taught about the doctrine of baptism. What the Son taught about the doctrine of baptism. What the Holy Spirit taught about the doctrine of baptism. What the apostles taught about the doctrine of baptism. What the believers taught about the doctrine of baptism. What Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and others all taught about the doctrine of baptism. Question, would it all be the same? Has to be. It has to be. Because they were all believing and teaching the same thing. And yet, within a stone's throw of where we are right now, figuratively speaking, you can find at least six or seven doctrines of baptism taught by various religious bodies. Is that right? You can find people that say, baptism not necessary and we don't practice it. Right? Then you find your Baptist friends that say, baptism not necessary, but if you do practice it, you got to be immersed. Which I never wondered why, I always wonder why, if it wasn't necessary, why you bind what you got to do if it's not necessary. By the way, if it's not necessary, why even practice it? Then you got your Methodist, baptism necessary, but you got a sprinkled baby. Then you got your charismatics. Baptism is immersion in the lungs after you come out. It don't take. Right? You got to get the baptism of water and the Holy Spirit. Got to get two baptisms. But Paul said there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Then you got the Mormons say you can be baptized for the dead. Right? And then you got some people crazy enough to believe what the Bible says. Because all them other, you find some people that says baptism is for people who have enough knowledge and maturity to hear the gospel of Christ, believe the gospel of Christ, and submit to the gospel of Christ by being immersed in water in order to receive the remission of sins. Now friends, I've just laid out seven different doctrines of baptism, right? Seven. Now, Remember when I talked about Paul preaching the same thing in every church? Let's think about that for a minute. Of all these other people, and I know there'd be some exceptions because your Mormons are your Mormons are they're Mormons and they're not involved in anything else. But those other six, your Baptists, your Methodists, your Lutherans, your Catholic, you know, they all they all think what? They say what? Well, you can teach six different doctrines in six different churches and it'll all be okay, right? That's what they all say, right? So it doesn't matter what you teach, just as long as you're honest and sincere. So you can have six different churches teaching six different doctrines about baptism and what? Everybody says, okay. But, what if you saw a flyer from the Morningside Baptist Church down here I know it's because I have to drive by to get here. You see a flyer comes out next week. says, Revival. Guest speaker, Todd Clippard, Hamilton, Alabama. And you start thinking, what's he doing down there? And I get up, and I go down to Morningside, and I tell the people, Morningside, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. 
Then the next week you see a flyer. North Highland Church of God. Only reason I know that one because I got to drive by it too. North Highland Church of God, revival. Guest speaker, Todd Clippert, Hamilton, Alabama. And you go hear me preach there. And I say, if you want to be saved, you got to be baptized in water, but you got to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit after you get baptized in water, else it doesn't take. And then you see me down there at St. Mark's Methodist. I ran by it. Next week, revival. Guest speaker, Todd Clippert, Hamilton, Alabama. And I go down there and I preach for them folks, and I say, baptism is sprinkling babies in order to remit the sin that he inherited from Adam. Because that's what they teach. Now let me ask you a question. If it's okay for six churches to teach six different doctrines about baptism, why is it not right for one preacher to preach six different doctrines on baptism? If six preachers can teach six doctrines on baptism and everybody says it's okay, then why can't one preacher preach six doctrines on baptism and it be okay? There ain't a lick of difference. Right? There's not a lick of difference if one man teaches six doctrines or six men teach six doctrines. It's still not right. It's still not in keeping with the Word of God. And so this idea of attending the church of your choice or that we're all going to heaven and we're just on different roads. Jesus said ain't one road. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. I am the door, John chapter 10. There ain't but one way. Not but one way to get to heaven, and that is through the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is the church of Christ. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. And so the seed principle... The seed principle and the prayer of our Lord cannot be reconciled with the denominational ideas about Christianity. Now we're going to close tonight and ask this question. Do you need to make the prayer of Jesus a reality tonight? If you are a member or in any way affiliated with anybody, any religious body, that cannot be found in the pages of this book. You are not making Jesus' prayer come true. But you can do it tonight. You can make the prayer of Jesus a reality by submitting yourself to the gospel of Christ and obeying the doctrine of Christ where He said, Except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. He said, if we don't repent of our sins, we will perish, Luke 13, 3 and 5. We must confess Him before men or be denied before the Father in heaven, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. And we've got to believe the gospel and be baptized if we want to be saved, Mark 16, 15 and 16. And then we've got to live in faith, enduring whatever ills 
or persecutions that anyone may throw at us, as he taught us in Matthew chapter 10, in verse 21 and 22, he says, You will be hated by all men for my name's sake, but he who endures unto the end, the same shall be saved. If you're not a member of the church of Christ, having rendered obedience to the gospel of Christ, or you're a member of the body of Christ and you've not lived faithful to the commitment, to the covenant that you, have made, that you had formerly made to those that are Christians and have gone astray, 1 John 1 and verse 9, if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from our, or to, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you are here tonight in any way subject to the call and the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we urge you to come right now as together we stand and sing this song.